This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome back to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Catherine Klein. I am excited to talk about workforce development, and it really does tie into almost our first segment to some degree. Um, and we are joined by Arthur Langer, who's the chairman and founder of Workforce Opportunity Services. Welcome to the show, Arthur. Hi, my pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Um, so I guess, first of all, tell us a little bit about who you are, what your background is uh, before you know, diving into Workforce Opportunity Services. Uh, I am a professor of practice at uh, Columbia University. I uh, direct the Center for Technology Management and uh, uh, also have appointments at our School of Education uh, and interact throughout the university. Um, and had a career in the corporate world, uh, particularly 11 years at what used to be called Coopers and Librand. Okay. And so what brought you to found... Workforce Opportunity Services? Well, I uh, was brought up in the Bronx. I came from a low middle class family. My, my dad was a, uh, a teamster, and uh, I fortunately was discovered um, you know, in the Bronx and got an opportunity to apply to the famous high school of music and art. I had artistic talent and was discovered by a particular person who was just providing art education in a furniture store. And that was my big break. I didn't go into art. I mean, I still do artistic work, but inevitably I got involved in the computer industry and technology. And that's what I did my, uh, certainly my undergraduate work on. But I had a student that came to me and was doing some work with a housing and urban development sponsored grant to help underserved uh, people in the area in Harlem. And uh, we ended up doing a lot of research on that, published a paper, and learned a lot about the challenges for assimilation into the workplace. Interesting. So uh, you learned a lot about these challenges. You had experienced some of them growing up. Uh, and then you, uh, I think, were founded, or um, certainly Workforce Opportunity Services, I gather, was founded uh, you know, over a decade ago. Um, to kind of develop untapped talent uh, and help folks you know, who are, may have, a, I guess, create a transition, a pathway to uh, you know, the workforce to, to good employment. Tell us what Workforce Opportunity Services does. Well, again, coming off of the five years of research and the development of a uh, predictive analytic model, if you will, we learned of the challenges uh, that corporations and businesses and organizations have with assimilating talent. But what the research showed, of course, is that the talent was there. So what we did is to we, we addressed, I addressed the issues uh, that were keeping this from becoming a systemic solution. One was that corporations didn't like to take a whole lot of risks with underserved populations. Their history is not particularly great. Uh, they don't have patience and the wherewithal to assimilate it and uh, develop the talent. And institutions of higher education also struggle to fund those kinds of programs that go beyond just technical, for lack of a better word, technical training. So what we did was put together a business architecture that would 
deal and address those. So one, we, we have a number of different ways in which we engage in companies. We are a 501c3, which allowed for co-branding, but we design the curriculum. We understand specifically the talent they're looking for. We work closely with line managers, which are is extremely important because even though you might have executive support, you must inevitably get the business managers or you know that are running this and managing these resources on board for it to become systemic we go wherever that we're needed you know so for example you know we're in we're in multiple places with prudential including el paso texas so you have to follow the trail where the employment sectors are and then we go find the talent and we uh, deal with the educational issue by partnering with various uh, institutions of higher education. Typically, we like to work with the flagship um, public universities, you know, Rutgers, Penn State, those types of institutions. But we also do outsourcing. We do uh, uh, levels of on-demand uh, where people can come in for one or two people. Uh, but a lot of our clientele, where they're looking for 10 or 15 people uh, for cybersecurity, we'll go out and find that talent in local communities. And we do everything from high school graduates to returning veterans uh, from post 9-11, um, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, military. So it's, it's interesting to me uh, how you're describing this, Arthur. Um, workforce Opportunity Services clients are the employers. So you start, if I have this right, you start with the employers as opposed to, so employers who say, I, we have a need, help us find uh, strong candidates, help us find candidates that we may be overlooking. Uh, and, you know, that's your, that's your model as opposed to uh, starting with prospective employees who are looking for any job, just help me get into the labor force. Well, we're the matching. I mean, we certainly recruit, but but you're, you're very much right. It's, it's a demand model. It's a supply-demand model, as opposed to just train a bunch of people and then hope they'll get employment. We focus on the areas that are specific areas that are needed, the talent that is needed, and then we go out and find that talent and provide local support. And incidentally, we do everything. We started in information technology, but today we do everything from uh, 100 mechanics a year for United Rental all the way up to Java developers for GE. Interesting. So, Catherine, I'm going to flip this question to you first. Um, so, Arthur mentioned assimilating talent. Mm -hmm. Is that a technical term? Is that I, I wondered like, about no, I, I you know, well, I, when I heard I thought I'm glad you picked this up, Nick, I noticed this word as well. And I wondered what assimilating, you know, what right? Why? You know, there, there it has potentially different different interpretations. Is the problem hiring people? Is the problem we hire them and we do a lousy job, um, you know, onboarding them and socializing them and they quit? What so let me let me throw uh, it's yeah, not it's yeah, not I a think we will company. ask Arthur I yeah. just was curious yeah. yeah yeah I think it's a combination of all of those assimilating it is mean how do I how do I provide um, a supply chain of talent that's out there that's coming from what I would suggest a different background that didn't have the necessarily traditional support. Um, and background that we hire. So, for example, a lot of the people, let's say veterans, 
uh, everybody wants to hire veterans, but do they really understand what the transition is mm -hmm. and what it takes to assimilate that talent within the organization, not just technically, which, by the way, is the easier part. Sure. Uh, it's really about the cultural fit and having these individuals understand that, for example, corporations are not necessarily democracies and they don't abide by the same things that they've learned in the uh, places where they come from, you know, and uh, we see this all the time in military or people are coming from the street. While the talent is there, they need a little bit more time and understanding and a different style of management in some cases. We work very closely with line managers and organizations to guide them on how to effectively transition these individuals. And so, Arthur, one thing we've had on our show before is this: some some employers really, like you said, the technical things that you need to execute on the job you are sort of sometimes the easy part. But then the other piece is, or the soft skills like, do you show up on time? Do you are you accountable? Do you you know is your attendance good? These types of things. Do you also address some of these issues, or, or do you find these are challenges working with some of the populations you work with? It's very much our core. The education programs that we put together. Um, involve both the technical and the soft skills. And we have documentation and results which are showing that many of our placements inevitably are uh, better equipped than college graduates, traditional college graduates. But there's another important component here. We're the employer for a period of time. Ah, interesting. That is the significant difference. So rather than create this risk of asking a company to commit or to hire, uh, that's difficult. No one wants to have these types of failure rates. So we hire them. We do the background checks. We provide 100% health care coverage. We buy the clothing. We recruit the talent. The companies can be very much involved. And then we engage in what would traditionally be called a consulting arrangement, although as a nonprofit, we take that in as – uh, program revenues. And we supply for every 20 people a client service manager on site. We don't pull up the bus, let them off, and wish them good luck. That doesn't work. It's just too complicated. And so we're there as advisors, being part of the culture. And then after approximately six to eight months or more, the companies can then determine uh, whether they want to hire or not or keep us on as a consulting. And some people are quick to transition. Others need a little bit more help. We're there to provide the mentoring, the support from home, the money, how to open a bank account, how to go to school at night, all of those things that a corporation can't really do and neither can higher education. So we're end-to-end -end and we're surrogates in every part of it. Yet, when I finalize a contract with a place like Prudential or, or Merck or any of the many uh, organizations we're working with, we have to kind of look like an outsourced provider. So we're meeting in between. We're providing a way in which corporations can understand how to relate this to their pipeline challenges. So and interesting. It works extremely well. So Arthur, can you give us an example? I'd love, to, love you ha to have you walk through an example of us. I'll let you pick the company. You know, it can be a hypothetical company or a real company that comes to you and says, you know, like, help us really understand the whole path. You know, step one, they come to you and say, we can't hire. 
um, and we're having trouble hiring, or they actually may come to you and say, you know, God, our, our, uh, we think we should have more diversity. We think there's more talent out there, and we're getting you know such a we're getting an advantage pool. We'd like to have a a, a pool of talent that comes from more you know a more differentiated uh, economic conditions. Who comes to you? Then what's the process like? How do you and then how do you find this talent? How do you screen them? You talked about um, yes. some of yes. that. So you know, so how do you find are, mechanics who are, don't have mechanical backgrounds, whatever it is? Right. Right. So uh, I think the best example I can give you is our long relationship with Prudential. But, there, you know, we have over 60 clients. We started in Newark with Prudential with a high school program. They were looking for diversity and pipelines to fill certain jobs that they were being challenged. And then what this has blossomed into is just a whole pipeline of talent that, you know, everybody's complaining about short shortages of actual skilled workers. So we started with them, and uh, they we sat down with their line managers and came up with an understanding of what the requirements were. The famous question I try to ask line managers is, what do they really need to know the first day? We then designed a program which included the, the soft skills. At the time, since it was the first, we went to Columbia. We picked people up by buses in Newark because we wanted to have Newark uh, individuals. And we started very small. Newark committed to five people. The, the f- four of them are still there. And that was 15 years ago. Hmm. Uh, and they filled various uh, types of skills. And then they worked for us for a period of time. It was competitive. So what we do is we infiltrate the local environments. We go to wherever we're asked to go. Um, it was very important to Prudential to not only support New York, but to support Newark. We got involved with the school districts. We sent out letters. We had open houses. And then we had a competition. We had 200 people apply for, at that time, was 10 positions that were available. And we did a pre-cert. So we show up. We we see whether they can handle the cognitive, which is easy to to measure. But then do they show up every day? Uh, Did they show up for two weeks, uh, twice uh, an evening? Did they do the homework assignments? Were they sitting there hanging on boyfriends and girlfriends? Was the mother or father pushing them in the door? And then uh, as a result of that, with the client, we make decisions on we take an attrition reserve. And by the way, we've surpassed our attrition reserve. So we've actually produced 105% of the ask with our clients. Very interesting. Do you have? Um, and then Prudential came to us in 2010. John Strangfeld, the chairman of the firm, called me, and I had a long meeting with John. He says, listen, we have 25% unemployment with veterans. We want to get into this. We know you've experimented at Columbia. Can we do this? And we did 30, and we did it with Rutgers. And then I had a relationship with El Paso, Texas, uh, the president of El Paso, Texas, and through a relationship at IBM, I was out there and noticed that Fort Bliss had – 50,000 troops and the lowest cost of living in the United States. And I came back and called John and said, John, you ought to open up an out, uh, a captive out here, which they did. And we provide uh, all of that uh, work and effort, and we find uh, the individuals. We manage it. We work closely with Prudential. And if you were to walk into Prudential today, within five minutes, you'll see one of our people. And they've hired away over 200. Then again, Johnson & Johnson uh, has hired very few. They keep us m- much in a consulting environment until these individuals get college degrees. Some have them, some don't. We have 25 veterans there right now and work closely with New Jersey Institute of Technology on a cyber curriculum. Now, everybody's claiming they, they can't find cyber people. So that's just a quick 
being mindful of time, I could go on and on, but that's just an example of the uh, complexity of the model. Great which is end-to-end, and we've published four research journal papers on this. Very interesting. Thank you. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio on Sirius XM 132, and we're speaking with Arthur Langer, who's the chairman and founder of Workforce Opportunity Services. So, Arthur, I, I wanted to dive into some specific programs that you have. I think I read something about Lyft. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is, or maybe you already have, yeah. but where, where does that fit in? Okay, so one of the things we are doing is we recognize that not all organizations can commit to hiring, or they don't know exactly when they have openings. So we give them the Burger King sort of choice, have it their way, which is, you know, we're very uh, capable of doing multiple things. There's a huge shortage of analytics people, and there's a huge shortage of cyber. So part of our economic solution, and I'll, I'll articulate that uh, shortly, was to go and find very talented high school graduates, let's say in Newark, as an example, and put them through an intense education program on, let's say, cyber, as an example. And this is like a farm system. So first they come to us. We would guarantee employment. We're large enough to do that. We would uh, put them next to senior people doing services for various organizations, for lack of a better word, a form of outsourcing or service center. As students got better and better, we would then start to put them on accounts so they would graduate to the minor leagues, but we wouldn't charge clients for their work. Again, we give them 100% health care coverage after they get their certificates that we're working with them in their various skill areas. We'd expect that they would go to college at night, and we would pay for that, which is part of our um, part of our benefit of what we provide. And then eventually, and this would vary by the talent of the individuals, they would graduate to the major leagues, which means we'd be putting them on a client, and they would be we would be billing for them. And our expectation would be that likely within about six months they would get hired away. By the way, conversion is free. Of that, so that's a that's a pipeline model that provides companies with 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 an introduction to talent. We take the responsibility to develop that talent. We're the surrogate. We're handling all the things. It's competitive, and then we bring them along in this farm system, minor league, until they're ready. And what you know, for example, I have found in the cyber industry, everybody wants somebody with five years of experience. Guess what? There isn't a whole lot of people with five years of experience. But if I can take a young person, get them engaged, have them mentored and worked in, in a controlled center in the, in the city, then probably within two years, that individual will be extremely ready to, to be assimilated, if you will. And the client would, or partner as we would call them, knows that individual. As a result, we're replicating yet another type of model that we've been working on over the last 15 years. By the way, our um, uh, our attrition is less than 10 percent. So 90 percent of the people we play stay there. Arthur, can you? Um, the, I'm so interested in the, in your model. Um, can you tell us? Uh, I'm, I'm wondering with with Lyft or with other uh, variations mm-hmm. of your model. What percentage of you know you're you're encouraging people I presume to apply you know come to Lyft come work for us we will help you get 
a job, you know, another job in the future or get you placed beyond working um, for workforce opportunity services. What percentage of people are you selecting into employment? What percentage of people are making it through your training programs? I'm interested in, yeah, what kind of culling goes on? So it's a, it's sort of like a, a siphon sure. type of thing. So right. I'll give you another example. Um, New York City Housing came to us a number of years ago and said, look, we really like to put together a program for this, for people who live in housing, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and we selected, they committed to 30 people. They, they said we can hire about five and art. We hope that you can get the others jobs. We had 300 people that came to Columbia for two weeks to apply for this. And we have... And then what? How many did you admit? Then you admitted. We admitted. Third. We admitted the uh, about twenty-five. Uh-huh. Um, five of them uh, didn't even have diplomas. We wanted to experiment in that area as yep. well. And out of the twenty-five, um, all the ones that were hired by um, New York City Housing are still there. Uh, seven of them went to Bank Liumi, where we started a QA operation, mm-hmm. and about five of them were hired away eventually. Others left and went to other opportunities. So we retain about 90% after the pre-cert. Got it. Very helpful. And, 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 you know, it makes makes lots of sense. Let me ask, and I know we're we're moving towards the end of our segment. Um, I'd love to ask two more questions for you. One is, um, you've talked a lot about working with uh, veterans. I'm wondering to what extent you're also working with uh, returning citizens, people who've been incarcerated. There's been a lot of conversation about that, and I've certainly had conversations with a colleague um, that I have at Columbia University. The challenge with incarceration is not that we can't deal with it, is will employers hire them? We go through, as you can imagine, significant challenges in background checks, a bank, healthcare companies. Most of the clientele that we're supporting simply will not allow us to put someone uh, or even have somebody in an outsource center hmm. who has a problem. Yeah. And I think this is a, a very important issue and a broader issue as to what we're going to do with employers. Because if I can't, if we can't convince employers to uh, uh, allow this, then we can't really complete something that can be effective. And I think we all need to get together in an effort government, academia, and others to talk about this issue. Sure. Yeah, interesting. Um, it's, a, it's a topic I, I teach on and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and know a lot about, and certainly people who have been incarcerated face huge barriers, as you're suggesting, to employment. Um, the other thing I want, I'm curious to understand more is, I, I think I know it, but we haven't asked you specifically about your, you know, your funding model, your business model. You're you're doing uh, extraordinary work, uh, training lots of people in an intensive way, hiring lots of people. How does you know who, who's funding uh, workforce opportunity services? That was well, my question. Well, the model too, is Catherine. we are a five hundred one c three charity. We do raise money. Uh, we do have that part of the business. Uh, corporations make donations to us. Mm. Uh, in the form of uh, a down payment, and and they don't take all the people. So, for example, the way it works is, let's say they want 10 people, we'll take 25, Mm -hmm. and we'll find them employment in other places. Also, the billing model is service revenues. 94% of the money that we bill, if you will, in a a traditional sense, um, an hourly rate, if you will, which is very competitive, 
94% of that goes back to the individual in healthcare coverage, which is 100%. Uh, it goes for education and, of course, taxes and, and, and wages and all of the other things that we do from hiring babysitters and, and, and helping people out of debt and all those things we do. And it's an interesting model in that the billing or the, the service revenue portion uh, essentially covers our cost on a regular basis. So we're not running around hoping to get the next donation to survive. And the donations that we have can completely be used to expand operations and new things. And for example, three years ago, we launched WOS in the community. This is completely on WOS. We have educated 2,000 people in New York City for free. Parents had to go on LinkedIn, uh, K through 12. We've opened up in Detroit with GE on it, and we just finished a job for um, a company down in the uh, Texas area, Reuters, in which we educated high school seniors that would eventually get an opportunity to uh, do a part-time work uh, at the company. So it's a whole infrastructure of what a city can do to transform. And the way I will say this to you, and I know we're running out of time, if I'm paying an institution of higher education locally in the state university system where that money is going, it's going back into the system and it's helping to support a, a, a systemic and regular program that can go on and on and on because we're funding it. I'm paying taxes on wages and Social Security and all of those things. Where is that going? Well, that's going back into the system. I'm paying health care premiums. Well, what's that doing? It's, it's providing health, valuable health care to people who otherwise wouldn't would really be challenged it. And the last thing I would say is that at Christmas time or holidays, I think that my kids and veterans, they buy things for their parents and families, and we call that consumer spending. So look at that as a model, and then in the community, and you're getting everybody engaged. So we're sort of an incubator in many ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that is a great opportunity for us to wrap up. Thank you so much for joining us, Arthur Langer, who's the chairman and founder of Workforce Opportunity Services. Sounds like they're doing some really great work. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 